Welcome back to the show, Daisy. Since we last spoke, there's been a lot going on. We've seen a new prime minister, many political changes. We've seen a new chancellor as well, just today breaking news in terms of that. But also there has been the tragic loss of Queen Elizabeth II. Has this been one of the most tumultuous times in your political career? I mean, to be honest, it's... Um... It's been a crazy couple of years, you know. There's been quite a few MPs actually in the last few weeks just saying so they sort of crave other uh, parliamentary sessions where they they where they say almost nothing happened, you know, in previous years gone by. But if you think about it, you know, in the last couple of years we obviously had uh, Brexit and then we had uh, the COVID pandemic and the sort of you know sort of various um, lockdowns. Um, we've had the war in Ukraine. We now have a cost of living crisis. We have a, a new monarch. We have a new prime minister. There's speculation that we might even have another new prime minister in the next seven to 14 days. I mean, it's 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 literally nonstop. And um, whilst there's a lot of uh, politics going on in Westminster, you know, I must, mustn't we? None of us must must, must get must forget that this is just impacting people in their daily lives. You know, the thing that's really mattering to people and what's come up in my surgeries that people can't pay their bills and people are really scared about being cold during the winter and their mortgage rates have you know, gone up through the roof um, and people are really, really worried uh, about this cost of living crisis. Are you worried that the parliamentary process is not keeping up with that because of this tumultuousness, you know, because of the U-turns, because it took so long to get a prime minister? Do you think that actually these issues are being slightly overlooked because of this strange process that we have in our democracy? <laughs> Um, I don't think it's really down to Parliament at all. I think it's all down to the Conservative Party. I mean, the fact is that many other countries were taking measures at the start of this year to tackle uh, energy prices in particular, whether that was, you know, increasing their storage of gas or whether it was um, launching um, uh, initiatives to reduce our energy consumption, whether that's through home insulation and solar panels. Whereas in this country, we had the entire summer of a Conservative Party leadership. So we lost uh, at least a couple of months uh, through that. Uh, and then we had uh, the mini budget, which was a complete disaster. And so we've lost uh, all of uh, September and October because you know, effectively the government's been U-turning um, on almost every single aspect of it bit by bit. Um, and so the, the fact is that we've lost about four or five months in a year where we simply can't afford to lose that amount of time. So actually it's not really anything to do with parliamentary procedure. It's down to the fact that the party in government, the Conservative Party, is in a complete and utter state of turmoil. Um, and as a result, it's the country that's suffering. Uh, you talk about time lost. Um, one of the events that we have lost this year was the Lib Dem conference. Uh, we lost that due to the passing of Queen Elizabeth. But could you talk us through maybe some of the things that would have been discussed, maybe some of the policies that you were excited to present about? Sure. Well, as you say, we had to cancel our conference um, because, uh, you know, the four, uh, Queen Elizabeth II died and it was absolutely the right thing for us to do to cancel that conference. There's no way it could have gone ahead and for us to be sort of, you know, trying to score political points at a time when the country was in mourning. Um, but there were um, debates that, you know, that would have happened had it gone ahead. Um, the, I mean, as health and social care spokesperson for the party, I guess the ones I was really looking forward to were the ones on health and social care. Um, we were going to discuss, um, I have to be careful what I say because we might try and announce these at the next conference, but we were going to be sort of debating a fairly significant um, uh, potential policy on social care. Um, we were going to have a debate uh, around dentistry. You know, I know here in St Albans, there's you know, scores of people who just simply aren't able to get an appointment with a dentist. And many of them have spent months, if not years, trying to call almost every single, um, you know, um, 
uh, dentists in St Albans trying to get an appointment. So we were going to discuss access to dentistry and also the co- costing of it as well. Um, and uh, yeah, there was, there was some other sort of interesting debates around uh, tackling obesity and and, uh, and public health issues. So I guess those are the ones that I would have been particularly interested in. And so with those issues, though, they're, they're obviously more for the future, as you said, you might cover it in the next conference. But in the here and now, we've we talked about it at the start recession, cost of living crisis, uh, raising energy bills, interest rates. These are all problems that are affecting people, as you said, in your constituency, St. Albans, but across the country. And the Liberal Democrats have voiced discontent at the government's plans to address the issues at the moment. So what should be done differently? Well, we spent um, several weeks and months saying precisely what we think should be done differently. Um, I mean, we were the first party to call for the energy um, uh, price hike uh, to be scrapped this autumn. We suggested that that should have been paid for by a windfall tax on the big oil and gas companies. Um, by our calculations, we could have raised potentially 30 uh, 30 billion uh, or more um, to pay towards that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate Liz Truss has sort of semi U turned on that because she is going to now raise a windfall tax. Unfortunately, she's going to only raise it on renewable companies and not on the big oil and gas companies that are the ones that have been making mega bucks out of this unexpected war in Ukraine. And um, we had also called for a package of support uh, for businesses. Um, and we had uh, set out that we could do that by reversing corporation tax, which is now finally what the government has done today. Liz Truss announced this afternoon that she was going to um, reverse that. Um, uh, you know, we had also um, uh, talked earlier in the year about potentially doing a cut to VAT because that would be a way of getting money right back into people's pockets straight away. Um, we know that because of the rising inflation, the government is actually going to is due to receive more money uh, um, through VAT taxation. The VAT receipts are going to go up, um, and actually you could cut uh, you could cut VAT um, and give some of that money back to people when they need to have it in their pockets. So we spent several weeks and months setting out precisely what we want to do. We said how we would fund all of these things, um, and it's just you know in, instead what we have is a Conservative Party that announced this totally botched budget, you know, £45 billion worth of unfunded tax cuts that would benefit the richest companies and initially bankers, although they've, you know, um, uh, as bankers as well, um, whilst at the same time freezing the income tax thresholds, which means effectively those people on the lowest incomes are going to be paying more money. So the two problems with that botched budget, one was that it was unfunded and the other was that it was taking money from those on the lowest incomes and giving it to those on the highest incomes. Um, and that's why it's been such a mess. And that's why we've had weeks and weeks now of the government having to do U-turns on every single bit of it. Now, for a few weeks, you have been calling for Kwasi Kwarteng to resign. He has actually done that today. But are you worried about the reaction from the markets, the movements made, and already the rise in interest rates that it's too little too late? Um, it is too little too late. Um, they should have realised much sooner what was going on. Um, it's unprecedented that Bank of England had to step in and start buying up uh, government bonds, quite frankly. And at one point, when um, Liz Truss was asked, can she say that people's pensions are safe, she wasn't even able to give that guarantee. Um, after Kwasi Kwarteng has resigned, stroke been sacked uh, today, um, and the Chancellor has been replaced, uh, the markets have now just started to very slowly start to creep up again. So it looks like it has had the desired effect of stabilising the market. But quite frankly, you know, the government has really screwed up. Um, and uh, it's clear that you know, Liz Truss and her government are simply not up to the job. Um, and it probably is time that we had a general election. And next year, we're looking at 
potentially 3 million people with rising interest rates. I mean, is there any chance that those interest rates could be reversed in the the coming weeks or months? Or are we going to be looking at, as we said there, a large chunk of the population who are going to be put into even more cost of living crisis with uh, mortgages and, and all sorts of things going up? Well, in theory, if the government was to take the right action, then it could take action to tackle inflation. But the government is making inflation worse rather than trying to make it better. Um, one of the reasons why we as Liberal Democrats proposed the VAT cut, um, uh, I think it was about February or March of this year, we suggested this emergency VAT cut. And the reason we proposed it was because not only would it put money back in people's pockets, but actually it's a really good way of tackling inflation, starting to bring it back down. The last time that inflation, uh, the VAT was cut in this way, it actually took inflation down from 4% to 3%. So that could have been done months and months and months ago. But instead, what we're seeing is that the action the government is taking continues to drive inflation up. And just to, to clear it up as well, uh, you said a number of U-turns. You said that there is going to be type of windfall tax, but you, you've explained this doesn't go far enough. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, the, to explain really clearly, a windfall tax is a tax on the profits that companies were not expecting. So, um, a lot of these big oil and gas companies were expecting to make profits. And on based on the profits they were expecting, they had a business plan as to how they were going to invest those profits. But on top of that, because of the war in Ukraine, they've suddenly got this enormous windfall of profits that they weren't expecting. And therefore, it's possible to tax those windfall profits to raise money to support people who are struggling to pay their bills, whilst at the same time not having any impact whatsoever on the investment plans of those particular companies. So that's what the Liberal Democrats had proposed. Um, that idea, we first proposed it last December, I think it was. That idea was taken up by the Labour Party, then by the SNP, and eventually the government implemented it when Rishi Sunak was the Chancellor. But now what the government is proposing, initially Liz Truss ruled out any form of windfall tax, but what she seems to be saying is that she only wants to raise a tax on the windfall profits of renewable companies, and she's leaving gas and oil companies out of the equation. And it's absolute madness that you would tax the companies that you want to be expanding, so we should be moving to renewables, whilst not taking the taxes from those companies, A, that you want to sort of be moving away from uh, oil and gas, but also the companies that have directly benefited from an unexpected war in Ukraine. I do think it's absolutely morally reprehensible. These big oil and gas companies have made enormous sums of money, billions and billions of pounds, whilst folk, ordinary folk, can't put their heating on. It's discriminal. Let's turn it to uh, a point that you've mentioned a, a little bit earlier about a general election. You you want to bring that in. This is especially because Truss's regime ideas are so vastly different to the Conservative 2019 general election manifesto, which people did vote for. But part of this, again, is, is this a, a parliamentary problem? Would electoral reform on issues like this be a priority for you if you were involved in government so that if there is a change in prime minister that we need a change or uh, a general election? So, I mean, I think the case of having a general election right now is incredibly strong. Um, the fact is that the Conservative Party keeps chewing through different prime ministers, they keep chewing through different chancellors, they keep chewing through different ministers. Um, and, you know, I remember when we were calling for Boris Johnson to go, one of the arguments from the Tory backbenchers to why Boris Johnson shouldn't go was they said, well, there's nobody good enough to replace him. 
And some of us thought, surely that can't be the case because he's a lying, law-breaking prime minister. Surely you've got somebody that's better than him. Um, and now it turns out that they were right. You know, we ended up with Liz Truss, who has absolutely destroyed the economy. Um, and um, and as a result, people are really feeling the hit in their pockets, you know, with their mortgages going up and not being able to afford to pay their bills. So I think the case for having a general election is incredibly strong because it's clear that there's nobody left in the Conservative Party by the Conservative Party's own admission who can actually run the country. So there is a very strong case for a general election. And as for what we'll have in our manifesto, I mean, the fact is that we have, Liberal Democrats have always um, supported proportional representation. That's been in all of our manifestos um, for a very long time, certainly since I've been a member of the party. Um, and so it'll certainly be in there. But in terms of the priorities for us, it'll be very much be around stabilising the economy, um, supporting people with the cost of living uh, crisis and making sure that we can get our NHS and social care services back onto uh, a decent footing. Now, let's turn the spotlight onto the local area of St Albans, because you said in September, so many pubs, restaurants and shops right here in St Albans just survived the pandemic, but could collapse under the weight of bills. Add to this, as we mentioned, the rise in interest rates. Are you worried that there could be a wide scale loss of the lovely local businesses that is one of the hallmarks of St Albans, because so many won't be able to afford to carry on? Yeah, I'm really worried. Um, and I'm in touch with a number of our local businesses on a very regular basis, um, some of them sort of week by week. Um, there's another business just today, I shouldn't say which one, because I don't think they've made it public yet. But there is a business in town that's um, that's closed today. I got news of that this morning uh, from a hospitality group that I work with. And, um, and I'm very worried about a number of other ones who are really, really struggling. The fact is that um, even with the government support uh, and the capping of these bills, there still isn't very much information about it. It's very difficult for businesses to know whether they should be investing uh, in new properties, whether they're going to be able to keep the lights on. Uh, if they need to pay higher energy bills, the chances are they might have to lose their staff or, or you know, cut back on staffing. If they have to cut back the hours of their staff, then obviously that's a problem for the, the staff, but it also means they can't provide as much by way of service services to their customers so it has a huge impact so i mean i'm sure that local people will have seen you know particularly on facebook some of our local pubs have been saying within talking about the the quotes they've been having for electricity and gas even with the cap in place it's still tripling or quadrupling in some cases and that's just unsustainable so for those people who do have spare cash in their pockets i would really really urge people in st albans please go out and support our local businesses whether it's um whether it's retail or whether it's hospitality they really really need our support and if you're going to have a christmas party anywhere please for goodness sake have it in st albans <laughs> and as well if you're a local business person who is in need of help or, or wants to discuss these issues, would you suggest contacting you or is, is there a, another body that might be useful as well? Sure. Well, I mean, if there's any business at all that wants to contact me so that, so that I'm aware of their um, current situation so I can raise it in Parliament, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Um, so, of course, businesses often do contact me and I'm happy to hear from them. I know that some uh, businesses have had problems with banks recently in terms of um, some of the lending terms. And I've raised that um, with the Treasury. Um, so there's all sorts of different reasons. Uh, if there are kind of bigger picture issues that I can help with, for sure, I'm very, very happy to hear from people. So let's turn it to uh, another local issue. It's the Luton Airport expansion. This has been called in by the Secretary of State. But what will happen with that now? Um, because many are interested whether the expansion will go ahead or not. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, as as I'm sure you know, um, there are two applications to expand Luton Airport, one from 18 to 19 million passengers per annum, and one to jump from that 19 million up to, I think it's, oh goodness, I think it's about 32 or 34 million passengers per annum. I can't quite remember. Um, but I have been calling um, on government ministers to call in this application, meaning it would have to have a further level of scrutiny, not just be a, you know, go through on the nod by Luton Airport. And so it is now being subjected to a planning inquiry. That inquiry opened on the 20th. 27th of September. Um, it's due to run for about uh, 10 weeks, so it could go on until the first week of December. And so until December, we won't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, I very much hope um, that it, it's blocked. Um, but unfortunately, we're in a situation where the government's current policy is to support airport expansion. So um, it'll be for the planning inspector to weigh up government policy um, uh, alongside many of the objections that I and others have put in. So we should know more probably in the middle of December. There's been an interesting revelation from a freedom of information request that no cyclists have been prosecuted for any offences in St Albans or Harpenden over the last two years. And police have said that dangerous cycling is not a priority. Are you worried that this undermines the recent effort by local authorities to increase driving safety in the area? Well, of course, I think you know, people... There's a few people probably who maybe don't cycle in a responsible way, but the vast majority of people do. Um, and there's very clearly a hierarchy on the roads um, and in our public spaces, which is pedestrians first, cyclists next, you know, motorbikes and then cars. And there's a reason for that, because people in their cars are more protected. Um, the fact is our police are horribly overstretched um, at the moment. And um, there are all sorts of cases that they need to be looking into. Um, I would rather we had a system where actually uh, you know, people were encouraged uh, to cycle uh, and not put off uh, cycling. Obviously, we want people to be able to cycle in a safe fashion um, and anybody who doesn't feel confident might want to join one of the uh, St Albans, you know, the St Albans Cycling Club and some of the cycling proficiency or group cycle sessions that happen in the local area. Uh, but overall, in terms of um, sort of policing priorities, I would say very much that tackling um, you know, theft and burglaries and uh, sexual offences, for me, those would be much higher priority than um, tackling issues around um, unsafe cycling. This month in Parliament, you've been talking extensively about Evusheld. 500,000 immunocompromised people are in need of this medicine. But what progress has been made? This is a long-standing campaign of mine. It's been seven or eight months now. Um, you're right, there's a particular uh, drug called Evershelled, uh, which can be given to people who are uh, immune compromised. These are people who have maybe got vasculitis or they've got blood cancer, or maybe they've had a kidney transplant and they have to take medicines to suppress their immune system. And as a result, when they get the regular COVID vaccines that the rest of us get, they don't mount any response. So they don't get any protection from regular vaccines. And so for them, the COVID infection is just as serious and just as deadly as it was to the rest of us before we had any vaccines at the start of the first lockdown. Um, and now because the rest of us can walk around without wearing masks, without testing, without having to isolate, there's literally nowhere that's safe for these people to go, not inside nor out. Um, and therefore, um, it's, you know, some of these people have been shielding for two and a half years and they're now facing a third winter of shielding on their own, locked up at home. Um, their physical health and their mental health has been impacted incredibly, um, incredibly badly. Um, and many of them have reported having suicidal thoughts. I think it's, you know, for some of us having a, a lockdown just for a few weeks was bad enough. But to imagine having to be in lockdown for two and a half years and facing a third winter, it's, it's just sort of not, not worth thinking about. So this drug Evershield has been proven through a 
number of um, national and international studies to be a really effective drug. Uh, at the moment, the government claims that there isn't enough evidence. Some of us are claiming that there is enough evidence. Um, and I secured a debate uh, this week in Parliament. Um, I was really pleased with how the debate went because the government, um, government minister actually gave me uh, some commitments, which is sometimes unusual. But he promised a few things that I had been asking for. The first was that he was going to give us a briefing with, um, uh, with his scientists uh, next week. The next is that there are two very significant studies that his team haven't actually looked at, um, and he committed that his team would look at those particular studies. Um, and uh, he has referred this drug to NICE, which is a clinical, the National Institute of Clinical um, Excellence, and they're supposed to do a clinical and a cost-effective assessment. And he's asked them to speed up that process, and he'll tell us how quickly it can happen, because at the moment it's not due to happen for six months, but it could happen much sooner. So we have made some progress, but we're not quite there yet. Um, and I and many other MPs are going to continue to bang the drum because I think most people would accept it's just not it would, would agree it's just not acceptable that the most vulnerable people in society are still being locked away at home because of the, the way that we're handling the COVID pandemic. But we're going to move it to the community questions and Laura opens up this month with a discussion. Uh, she's asked, can you step in and help the Waffle House after the madness from the district council? Local businesses are suffering enough and the Waffle House is an icon. Why after nine years are the council kip- uh, kicking up a fuss about the marquee now? Well, I mean, I think lots of us love the Waffle House. I've certainly had a couple of waffles there. Um, And I know a lot of people are very keen, particularly people with children like to go there. Um, And it is a much loved business in St Albans. Um, But this is fundamentally a planning uh, enforcement issue. And I think some people perhaps not aware this has been going on for quite some time. So this is not a new thing. So effectively, the the restaurant actually erected the marquee in 2018. And when it did that, it didn't actually submit a planning application. So it technically wasn't lawful um, when they did it. But there were local community groups. I don't know which ones they were, but I'm told that there were uh, local uh, groups that actually made a complaint to the council. So it came from the community. Um, And once the the council receives any complaint about a planning issue um, and a planning compliance issue, the council is obliged to investigate uh, such a complaint. Um, And so they investigated it. And because um, obviously the Waffle House is in a grade two list of building, the officers were required to serve an enforcement notice. And that was served in November 2018. So that's almost four years ago. Um, The Waffle House appealed that decision. It went to the government uh, or to the independent planning inspector. They visited the site and they also found that this marquee marquee was unlawful. They reached their decision, I think, around April 2021. And they actually gave the restaurant 18 months to remove it and to start discussions with the council, with their own planning consultants about what would be an acceptable um, replacement. Now, um, I've spoken to local councillors who weren't involved in this decision at all. um, And they said that there hasn't actually been an application yet. Um, But, you know, as frustrating as it is, I think, for local residents, the fact is that the Waffle House has had almost four years now to submit a planning application to get a permanent structure there. They were given that full 18 months to do it before enforcement action was taken. There has been some time to do it. I don't know why they haven't submitted that application yet, um, but clearly they have had the time to do it. I'm told that that application is expected soon. Um, So I know it's frustrating for the business. I know it's frustrating for residents, but quite frankly, the district council didn't have 
any other choice because under the planning law is what planning law is. <laughs> the inspector has said this is what the law is, this is what needs to happen. The district council is required in law to take that enforcement action. And as I say, the Waffle House has had a number of years to act on it and it's just a shame that they haven't done so sooner. Well, it's good to have an insight into the whole situation and, and hopefully because, as we said, Waffle House is an icon of the area, that there is a positive solution. Uh, Carl has turned the attention to uh, local health services in the area. He said, I've seen you argue about the poor state of health services across the country, and I agree. But what are your thoughts on the £12 million new facilities for our local hospital? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the £12 million is in incredibly welcome. Um, that £12 million is actually um, from a, what's called the Elective Recovery Fund, uh, which is a national fund, and it's specifically for uh, diagnostics. Um, it's completely separate, I would say, from the much bigger programme, which is the new hospitals programme, which will see a much bigger investment uh, across the three hospitals in the area, Watford, Hemel um, and St Albans. So yeah, the £12, million is, the £12 million is very, very welcome, but it is there for that specific purpose of, in, of, of quick of speeding up diagnostic um, uh, diagnosing people with various conditions so it's very welcome but fundamentally it doesn't detract from the fact that we do need the government to get on and provide the uh, much bigger sums of money potentially up to one billion to actually give us the -the state-of-the-art services that we that we deserve to have in our area. Stuart has brought it on to road closures. He said, I'm so confused over these. Most people don't want them and they are so confusing for residents as they are for visitors to the city. Why is the council imposing these? Well, road closures are always uh, very controversial and there are always people, some people who really, really want them and some people who really, really don't. Um, And the critical thing here is to always to consult with residents and to listen to them. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of where we've got to at the moment, but this is an issue that's being run at the local level by councillors and anybody who wants to know the latest or to understand what the, um, what I think is a trial trial that's going on at the moment where different formats are being trialled, please contact your local councillors and they should be able to inform you as to what's going on and when roads will be open and closed. Stuart has asked, will you be contributing to the Woolly St Albans postbox covers for fun during Christmas? Do you know what? I wish I could say yes, but I'm, I just absolutely can't knit. I tried. <laughs> my mum even tried to get me lessons when I was a kid to learn how to knit, and I've never been able to do it. Uh, so I, I won't be contributing. But um, I did actually. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I had a I had a pint in the Lower Red pub. Uh, other pubs are available, but I had a pint in the Lower Red a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was on the table next to some of the women who have been knitting the uh, bobbly um, hats for the for the, the toppers, and I got a sneak preview of uh one of the really big ones and it's very very cool so i'm hoping i get an invitation to uh go to the sort of the opening or the big reveal of, of some of the toppers this year goodness <laughs> me that sounds so exciting uh it's, it's just one of the highlights isn't it every year kind of going around the That's city brilliant. Um, Joe has moved it on to schools. Uh, she says, as schools work to high standards as Ofsted, uh, Ofsted, with a reduction in finances across the board and reduction in finances going for, uh, towards resources and opportunities to deepen learning through trips, can we expect leniency on Ofsted inspections? You know, I'm, I wish you could, but I'm guessing you probably won't. Um, I mean, there's a number of things to unpack here. The first is around Ofsted itself. I mean, I'm personally of the view that um, Ofsted has really lost the trust and support of the teaching profession. Um, and, you know, many teachers I know uh, just 
feel when when Ofsted turns up, it just scares the living daylights out of them. And that's really not a way to get the best. And it's not that it's not the way to assess how our schools are performing. It's not the way to assess whether students are happy and whether they're learning well. Um, it, so I, I have a real problems with with Ofsted in itself. And I'd quite like to see it sort of abolished and replaced with a different model uh, of inspections and assessment uh, that takes other sort of factors into account, like well-being of staff and pupils. Um, so that's the, the bit on on Ofsted, but there's a much broader question here about funding as well. And um, she, she's absolutely right. Schools have had their budgets slashed and slashed and slashed. Um, I'm, I've, I've had meetings with um, the chairs of governors uh, of both primary and secondary schools across St Albans. The one thing they say they're crying out for is more teaching assistance in the classrooms. Often when their budgets are cut, teaching assistants are the first, first to go. Um, and that has a real impact on the kind of one-to-one -one learning support that can be provided in the classroom. I also know that um, special educational needs and disabilities funding, SEND funding, uh, is very low uh, in Hertfordshire. Um, and I think I may have raised this on one of your shows before, but uh, I actually secured a commitment from a former education minister that they would specifically look at the case of SEND funding here in Hertfordshire. I wrote to Hertfordshire County Council and said, I have secured this extraordinary commitment from the minister that he will look specifically at the funding situation here in our county. Can you please provide the supporting evidence that we need to show him why uh, there is such a big disparity between Hertfordshire and other similar and neighbouring counties? Uh, and I'm afraid to say that I received a very disappointing response saying that they you know, weren't going to respond whilst there's all this political turmoil. And I had another meeting with the SEND team just this week to press the point home that I'm quite frankly appalled that I haven't had a decent response yet from Hertfordshire County Council. There are families in my constituency and across Hertfordshire who are pulling their hair out because they cannot get the support for their children. I ha We have this opportunity to present a case to government and Hertfordshire County Council needs to pull their finger out and explain to me and other MPs how we can be making the case for them in Parliament to get more funding. So I press them to get back to me as soon as possible. Yes, and uh, j just to kind of reiterate some of the points that you said there, Joe explained that her husband is actually one of those teaching assistants that may lose their job over this issue. It, it is really hitting uh, a lot of people here, and uh, we, we just hope again that there's a positive uh, outcome for Joe and her husband there because they're on the the other side. They're the, the actual teachers in this situation there. But we're going to move it to the final question for this month, and for everybody who has missed out, you'll be back again next month, Daisy. So not to worry that there will be lots of opportunities it has been a while since we last talked so there has been quite a few to go through but john has asked did you join in the gin and jazz festival ah this is the one on george street do you know what john i actually didn't manage to take part in the gin and jazz festival this year which is a real shame because i do always love going to it but there was a good reason for that uh, i actually had my honeymoon uh, <laughs> my husband and i got married in 2019 um, before the general election, before the pandemic, before everything else that's happened uh, in the last three years. And we had never had our honeymoon. Um, so three years late, but we did have a lovely um, week away in Italy. And so whilst I did miss the Gin and Jazz Festival, um, I did have quite a, lot, uh, quite a lot of nice Italian wine instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you, you missed it, but also really enjoyed the, the Italian uh, experience as well. And that, that's lovely to hear as well, because we've discussed this many times on air, you know, you've had to off put the, your, your honeymoon quite a few times so it's good to hear that you finally had it but thank you so much for your time as always daisy uh, i'm sure people appreciated your answers and you'll be back again next month but for now we wish you a happy and healthy journey until that point again thanks very much bye bye